so we're back. Hi, babe. You look busy over there. You're turning a bunch of dials, pushing a bunch of buttons. Yeah, I'm just trying to make sure that everything is is like is like the same sound is like the same volume. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, hi. You, you want to make sure everyone can hear that. Exactly. Loud and clear. Can't miss the drops. Yeah. Okay. So I know that you said you had a, a story. Oh, hi. Yeah. Uh, so we went to the, I took Charlotte to the optometrist today. Mm. And. Wait. The story you said you were going to tell me yesterday happened today. I told you this more. I told uh, no. I just told you a little bit ago. Yeah, I thought it was yesterday. No, I've got a good story about a guy at the optometrist refusing to go to the back. When was that sent? That was today at ten thirty-two. Wow! So I took Charlotte <laughs> to the optometrist today, and we were. So it's one of these things where it's like. I'm sure you've experienced this, but it's like in the past couple of years, waiting times at any sort of health uh, service. Super fast. Get it's you right in. insane. It's it's crazy, right? How much they've, how long it takes. Oh, yeah. It's like, I remember going to the doctor like a year and a half ago or whatever. Took forever. I took Charlotte to... I took both the girls to a dentist appointment a couple months ago over an hour after the appointment time before they got taken to the back. And that's not like, oh, sorry, we forgot about you. That's we've booked a million people for some reason. In in our text history, I'm sure there are multiple times where when I was going through my eye stuff, right, I would text you because I'd go see this ophthalmologist and... She'd have me scheduled in, and it was guaranteed an hour and a half before I got anybody who would say, like, hey, she'll be right with you. And that yeah. meant I'm 45 mm-hmm. minutes away from it. Like, yep. it would literally be me sitting in a chair for two hours right. minimum. For her, towards the end, those appointments were quick. She'd come in, just be like, oh, it looks like it's progressing well. Okay, see you later. And I, I would fight the urge just to be like, two hours. For, like, can you just see me out in the lobby? Yeah. Yeah, I, it was either right before, it was either the appointment before having the screw removed from my arm. Mabel's ear has been flipped and I just, <laughs> just like Ace, night. I'm telling you, there's just, there's no, it's no controlling so it, gross. no controlling it. Well, I can't stop looking at it. It was either right before the appointment, right before the surgery to have the screw taken out or right after and the wait took so long that a nurse had to come out and be like, some of you people are just going to have to go home. We don't have time for you. What? Yeah. <laughs> it, it took that long. And I was one of those people because I um, had like taken schedules like a, a two hours just to be away from work. And I had like a meeting coming up. So I was like, I, well, I'm just going to have to reschedule because, yeah, I can't sit here and wait for another 45 minutes just, just to get taken to the back. Anyways, so we go to the optometrist today. Same deal. We get there at 920. We don't get taken to the back until 1045. And it's like 1015 when the lady's like, uh, Mr. Blizzard, you're next. Don't worry. 
Okay. Um, so anyways, during that time span, we're sitting in the waiting room. One of the, Everyone's waiting a long time, right? So I know everyone's on a high alert. The One of the assistants comes out and she goes, call your silence, right? Nobody answers. A couple, 10, 10, 15 seconds go by. Call your no response, right? And then I hear some guy behind me go, she probably means call yay. Oh, no. And then she goes, call your... And then <laughs> no response, right? And then finally, apparently the woman that was with the guy goes, uh, do you mean Joseph? And she goes, yep. And he goes, oh, it's call yay. <laughs> And then he gets up and like shuffle. He's and it's he's like he's got some sort of uh, physical impairment because he's like shuffling by me, but he's like a younger guy. Oh, he's younger. Yeah, it was not an old guy. Yeah, like younger than me probably, or maybe around the same age. And he just like shuffles by and she's like, "Come on, buddy." And I, I got to the point where it's like. I wasn't sure if it was like, it almost started to seem like she was doing it on purpose. Like they know who this guy is and they do it just to piss him <laughs> off. You know what I mean? <laughs> Cause she waited for a long time. Yeah. Well, it seems like, uh, that, that would fit, um, with how he behaved in your brief little observation window. Right. Yeah. Like guy, the other thing too, with, with stuff like that, I'm like, if you are older than like eight years old, You've experienced people calling your name. Right, exactly. Multiple times. Did you yeah. really do that? Have you done that your entire life where yeah. if someone does not say the accent, you're just going to sit there and and prove a point? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So yeah, that was the appointment. Took forever. Yeah, I mean that's I need to go to an optometrist. Right. Now. Yeah. And not now. You've needed to go for years. <laughs> well, we'll let the doctor decide, okay? The doctor has decided. We'll, we'll see. The doctor has decided. And <laughs> one reason why I'm I'm not scheduling the appointment yet, because I'm not ready to deal with those waiting rooms. Yeah, I mean, that does suck. I have to go get blood drawn, and that's another thing. I went one day, and the guy out front was like, hey, everyone. And I got there early, mm -hmm. like five minutes after they opened. He's like, hey, everyone, it's going to be an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah. Minimum wait. It's like, what is going on? Like, don't schedule so many people. Yeah. I mean, so, so I had to be like, listen, what day is good? What time can I waltz in here, get my blood drawn? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I, I, the, my That's supposed to be like the bug of universal health care, right? That's always one of the major arguments. Do you want to wait forever? We already do. We already do. The other thing, too, is my, my, my theory is like all the baby boomers are getting older together, right? The, yeah, maybe. The, the generational boom is now all aging. And they're clogging everything up. They're clogging everything up. <clears throat> okay. Do you want to jump into um, Mabel? Let's flip that ear. Um, 
Oh, the Northmen. Yeah, do you want to talk about the Northmen at all? Any any further uh, thoughts? Um, I mean, man, I can't. I got something in my throat. <clears throat> COVID mm. still in my throat, probably. Little remnants. Um, the Northmen. Mm-hmm. Not a lot to say about it. I liked it. Mm-hmm. The one thing I wanted to say is, uh, well, two things. Number one, Viking drug culture. Right. Um, that was something that it definitely made me think about. Because I remember hearing that Vikings were heavy drug users, hallucinogenics, and big on um, kind of ceremonies, rites that used a lot of hallucinogenics, right? Mm-hmm. And that was a big piece of this movie. And something else that you don't really think about is like, yeah, if you live in a culture that values kind of spiritual experiences and hallucinogenics and stuff like that, then you probably are giving it to kids. And so you have that sure. scene where Ethan Hawke, you know, takes his son. He's like, "We're this is why I did with my dad. Mm-hmm. And it's just basically like roll around the mud and, well, they're being wolves. How like a wolf, right? With a strange man, while he yeah. like blows drugs in your face. I was like, yeah, that's that's probably what it was like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing about that is, I was not aware of any of the drug stuff, and so I just took all of that as because it, it the movie does not ever show them taking any substances. Well, it doesn't make a big point of it. But right. There's little things whether it's you know drinking stuff. Right. Maybe, but I, but my point is just that at some point in the movie you know, it's not like hey, do these drugs with me and then let's go into our smoke smoke cave and hallucinate, right? They just yeah. go into this thing and it, and to me I just I just figured you know, we talked about this a little bit. Like, I don't know, I don't know anything about the Vikings. I don't know anything about this mythology and what they believed. But I did know going into it that, especially since it's Robert Eggers, that he's like super into being very uh, accurate and researching all this stuff. So going into it, I knew that like all of it would would was being done like intentionally, and so I just kind of assumed like this was, I guess, maybe like. <clears throat> maybe this is just like a representation of what they thought was happening, right? Or was like a belief in their culture or whatever. I did not necessarily tie it to drugs. Yeah, because, I mean, this is like pre-1000. Right. You know, BC. So I just kind of assumed it was like like their mythology, basically. Yeah, I mean, see, I assumed, because it's Robert Eggers, that it was deeply researched and just like what you expect Robert Eggers to do. He's not going to explain everything that's in his movie. Right. He's going to depict it and trust that again, like you said, it's intentional or like what I took it as is like, this is historically plausible. Yeah. And, um, it definitely made me think about that. It also made me think of something that I heard before where Vikings would take drugs before, going into battle mm-hmm. and i remember first hearing about this or reading the article and finding it really funny in terms of the reasons why these people think they took drugs like 
the fact that the Vikings would, by various reports, like throw off all of their armor and fight naked. And then people are like, why would you do that? You know? <laughs> <Right>. And like, <laughs> looking into it, it's like... That's because they were drugged out of their minds. Well, some some <laughs> drugs at the time like would make people hot and sweaty. Yeah. So it's just like, yeah, like you just get a whole bunch of men who are hot and they're just like, I don't need this armor. Get <laughs> right. it off of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so th- there were two there there are two theories. I kind of looked up the article again. One is a red capped mushroom. Uh-huh. Amanita right. muscaria, which I think is depicted in the movie. Because if you remember there's yeah. a red capped mushroom. Yeah, what's her name puts mushrooms into the soup for the villagers or the soldiers to eat i guess which causes them to hallucinate and go nuts but that right so that that is a lesser agreed upon theory because um it can have psychoactive you know elements that could lead people to like not feel pain and be better fighters but also, it features other side effects like uh, trembling, vomiting, and diarrhea. Mm. So, obviously, they probably weren't m- macro dosing that before mm-hmm. battle, or else you'd also have <laughs> naked Vikings just diarrheaing <laughs> right. all over the place. They just have shit running down their legs <laughs> exactly. the whole time. <laughs> Which is also a better uh, visual, too. Sure. So instead, they argue and kind of agree that it's this um, henbane is probably what they used. Uh-huh. And I just wanted to read this because I like the way, again, this is, t- to me, it's like all unintentionally hilarious to kind of like piece together this culture, which is basically just like, we live in a brutal climate, so let's just like live brutally for 20 years and then move on to a better fighting field called Valhalla where we can fight in better weather. Yeah. Basically like mm-hmm. their, their idea of heaven from my understanding is basically just like another battlefield, but in better weather. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah. So not only is Henbane an effective painkiller, but the psychedelic state it produces is often associated with one aspect of the berserkers notorious fighting style. And they throw the, uh, oh crap, what's that? Two dots? Col- semicolon? No, see, semi- colon. No, because the colon, colon. Yeah. Colon, pure rage. <laughs> right? right? They take their drugs and it's like, Exactly. <clears throat> I just love that that's how, like, in a scientific journal, there's no <laughs> other way. Rage. Yeah, there's just no other way. Like, how can we yeah. scientifically describe the, the effect of this drug? Pure rage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Put that down. So that yeah. was one. Oh. No, go ahead. Did that make you think of something? No. Pure, pure rage was a trigger? <laughs> no, <right>? Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of screaming. There was so much screaming, which I guess is representative of the pure rage, but there was so much screaming, I guess, especially at, like, the end, right? That's, like, act- oh. the actual climax of the movie. It's just a scream that it was... 
it just became one of those moments where it's like you can see where all of the parodies start happening. You know what I mean? It's like this, I'm watching this, and at the same time, I'm seeing the terrible SNL skit that's going to be on right. in a week. You know what right. I mean? Um, yeah, like, you know, immediately the whole time. And it's easy because you watch a movie like this, and, I mean, one of the first thoughts that went through my mind was just how quickly I would die in this you know, society. <laughs> right. Or like Indiana, yeah. just like yeah. how we just would not fit. Yeah. Um, and it, it's like I would be the one who's just like wincing next to all the screaming. Like, guys, do we have to? Is this really necessary? Do we have to be so loud. <laughs> we're we know we're going into battle. Let's just do right. it. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, the only other thing I wanted to say about the movie is, you know, it, it's tough because I I like the movie. Uh huh. And it's hard not to compare with people like Robert Eggers because he's so idiosyncratic, right? He's just so specific. Yeah. Um, and so it did make me think about The Lighthouse. And I just remember watching The Lighthouse and not knowing what to expect going in. It's not that I wasn't looking forward to it, but I I wasn't necessarily like, I have to be there day one for, for The Lighthouse. Mm-hmm. And at the end, just sitting there kind of stunned and being like, that was incredible. Yeah. Because I think it had such a unique, like, it felt like something that when you thought about Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson reading the script, you're like, how could anybody read this and be like, we got it. Yeah. We know exactly what you're going for. And yet they did. And Robert Eggers, like, pulled off this vision that... Other people like like myself and like the actors could could understand, which is yeah. crazy because the movie is just so unique and memorable and indescribable. Hard to describe. Yeah, yeah. You can't I'm, give a plot rundown. Really, right? I mean, yeah. that's what I think it is for me about the lighthouses. It, it's it's so like, um, I guess, just like unexpected. You know what I mean? It's like. You give me a, a, I'm going to make a movie about Vikings. Okay. You know what I mean? It's like, fine. I Like, I get it. But then it's like, you give me a, I'm going to, I'm going to make a movie about two lighthouse keepers. It's like, oh, okay. Wh- like, why are you going to do that? <laughs> you know? And it's, but it's like also self-contained. It just is, yeah. The lighthouse to me is so good. And, um, what's the movie called? The, the Northman North is, it's fine. Like, I thought it was fine. Yeah, and and so I was just thinking about why is that? And it does feel like, you know, the thing that hurt my enthusiasm about the movie going into it was reading a little report where where Robert Eggers was saying it was really hard for him going back and forth with the studio. Right, that's what I was going to say. Apparently it's been like heavily modified from what he originally wanted it to be. Right, and I feel like you get that sense. The other thing, thinking back on it too, that I think it, it impacted me as well is I read something early where somebody says it's, it's like an adaptation of Hamlet. Mm-hmm. Like it's Viking Hamlet. And you can definitely see that. But again, I was like, you know, the lighthouse is not like light, lighthouse death of a salesman. You well, know what I mean? You're it's like important to being earned. What I read is that it's supposed, this is what Hamlet was based off of, this like tale. 
Right, right. So, you know, the the, the source material of Hamlet or whatever. Right. I, I guess I could see it more source ma- material. I didn't hear that. Mm-hmm. So that makes more sense thinking about Robert Eggers as opposed to adapting a well-known, you know, story backwards, right, mm-hmm. into Viking times, which was initially how I saw it. And again, was just like, I, I would have liked to see him like, Tell me a Viking story, full stop. Like I don't want to hear yeah. like it's like Hamlet. Like I just want to know yeah. like what's your vision of a Viking story? Because again, could it? W- would we get something more like the lighthouse in that case? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the thing about that though is like I think I'm soured on director's cuts. Like the like hearing about all the trouble that he had with this movie and how much the studio wanted him to change it and blah, blah, blah. And like, I was reading you after we got out, I found an article and it was quoting, um, it was talking about how much trouble it had when they were testing it with audiences. Mm -hmm. And somebody from the audience said his, his one note was like, you need to have a PhD in Viking literature to understand anything that happens in the movie. And it's like, I don't know if that came like how different of a version of the movie he saw than what, or that what the, that they saw than what I saw. But part of that too, is just like going into it and being like somewhat generous. Like I'm, which is not my like natural gear, your default. <laughs> right. But it's like, I trust Robert Eggers based on the witch and based on lighthouse. So I, like I said, I going into it, I kind of assumed these things. And so I was able to like get past them just assuming that like he knew what he was doing and I'll just figure it out, you know? But I didn't feel like it took it, just being generous like that to me. I, it, was, it was perfectly easy to understand what was going on in the movie. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to like director's cuts, like it is definitely like intriguing to me, this idea of like, you know, I, this was my vision of the movie and it's pretty different from what you saw in the theater, even if you liked it and it's, you know, maybe 30 or 40 minutes longer. But then like we watched Donnie Darko a couple weeks ago, me and Julia and it was the director's cut, and I haven't seen Donnie Darko in years, maybe like a decade, like maybe since I even first saw it, and the director's cut to me is like somehow makes the movie even more confusing, even though it's like explaining more, and <laughs> yeah. it like kind of ruins the movie, and then there, the also, this, the example that always sticks with me, I know like the most famous example of director's cuts is probably like... um like Blade Runner, because it has yeah. a bunch of different versions. I'm not super familiar with all that. There's a voiceover ending, one without yeah. one, yeah. But Terminator 2 has a director's cut, and the director's cut of Terminator 2 completely ruins the movie, I think. It makes it bad. Like, like Terminator 2 is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's Great. amazing. And then I remember maybe it was even showing Julia showing somebody for the first time and we started watching the director's cut unknowingly and they're just like, what is this movie? How, why this is not the movie I remember. So that's kind of where I'm at with director's cut. So it's like, it kind of sucks for Robert Eggers and I get it. But at the same time, it's like, you had your chance and I watched your movie (laughs) and I don't think I'm going to go back. Same thing with like Midsummer. Like, 
I want to watch Midsummer again. I would like Julia to watch Midsummer. She's kind of interested in watching it. Ooh. The only version available to us is the director's, director's cut, cut, which is like three hours long, and it's like I'm probably not going to do that. Yeah, the I mean the the, the other problem, like I bought the A24 Midsummer mm-hmm. um, director's cut, like edition, all that, and watched it, and I like it, but again, it adds a scene. That even though I like the scene, extends the movie, right, and makes you feel the the length, right. Well, and Midsummer is also kind of an exception, I guess, because the movie as it was released, the theatrical version is amazing, right. Yeah. So yeah. it, it's kind of like the I guess the director's cut is more just for like insight than anything else. It, it, exactly, and it and it feels like that, and I think that's the that's the key, right? Is what is a director's cut based on a director? feeling like they did not get their vision out there and want it corrected. And then what is a director's cut that's like, hey, I have space now. Like A24 is giving me the opportunity to now edit in this stuff and then sell it. And it's like, I would, yeah, I'd be more interested in that because I haven't, there's Kingdom of Heaven, Ridley Scott. Apparently Uh his director's cut is way better. I hated that movie. Well, and that movie's bad, right? That yeah. movie's real bad. And I refuse to watch the director's cut, <laughs> right, too. Exactly. Not interested. Yeah. It's Kingdom of Heaven. I watched it right. once. I, but I am more interested in, oddly enough, I am more interested in, like, the um, Ari Aster director's cut of Midsummer. Mm-hmm. Again, a movie that I liked as is, and now I'm viewing the supplemental. Yeah. Versus, again, like, yeah, the Ridley Scott. There's the Snyder thing, which... I was interested in either of those. Oh, the Justice League movie, you mean? The Snyder Cut? Right, the mm-hmm. Snyder Cut. Um, Terminator 2, I actually didn't know there was a director's cut. Though. Yeah, there is a director's cut. And I, maybe I'm overreacting. Maybe it's just one of those like effects that are, that are magnified because you're watching it with somebody else for the first time like they're seeing it for the first time and so you have these expectations oh, the and it's like even the smallest thing you're just like oh my it's gosh like that. <laughs> right yeah it's, i don't know what this is it's the director's cut it's, it's no, 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 no. right yeah so it was a while ago but i remember hating it Ugh. Yeah. um I thought you were going to say, like, the director's cut cut out the thumbs up at the end or something. <laughs> no. No, it just adds a bunch of shit what, what, that, like, really slows the James movie down. James Cameron hated, like, the best right. scenes. Like, he gives a peace sign instead of the right. thumbs up. He always hated that that's what people thought about when they watched right. the movie, so he cut it. Yeah. Um, he gives a middle finger now. Um. <laughs> he gives the okay symbol. He's a, a, a white nationalist. Speaking of which, Julia sent me... Uh, a screenshot. Did you see this? No. White supremacists love the Northmen. New Nordic blockbuster is praised by alt-right groups for its lack of diversity. <laughs> here's here's the thing. I'm going to say that this is centrist left <laughs> propaganda. Yeah, sure. This is the center left stirring up. Try, like Before this... A lot of people I follow on Twitter start sharing like all these like centrist left people who are like Robert Eggers. I was fine with his movies, but have you seen his haircut? (laughs) You know what I mean? I have seen that before, actually. Yeah, like like people legitimately (laughs) trying to be like try and find a way just to be like he's a white nationalist without any proof. Yeah, and just trying to use again. Three movies about white people, really? Right. When also you want to say like, yeah, 
And look at all the white people in the movies. Right. They're all terrible people. <laughs> yeah. They're all messed up. <laughs> right. It's all bad. Right. The Northman is not like a celebration of white not culture. Not at all. It's, yeah. it's a condemnation. <laughs> it's terrible. The, yeah. lead, the lead character is responsible for orphaning yeah. hundreds of other right. kids. Like, right. Even though he knows exactly what, what that is. What it feels is. like. He's right. fueled yeah. by it. Yeah. I mean, you know, all, all that stuff. We just want to be like, I mean... <laughs> yeah, well, not, it, I was going to say at the same time maybe this is just my personality if I was Robert Eggers I would be so aware of my haircut and the way I'm being perceived and the fact that I'm making movies only about white people that I would go out of my way to make sure I did not have the alt-right haircut. No, see, I, <laughs> I'm not blaming him. I'm not saying he shouldn't have it. I'm just saying personally, I would, I would do that. I, I reject that. I know that's not true. You know why? Why? You cut your own hair, right? <laughs> well, yeah, if but you, yeah, if you only knew how to cut your hair in the white national <laughs> style, you would not I would change. learn something different. No, you would I not. learned how to cut my own hair. Yeah, but but what I'm saying is you learned how to cut it the easiest way possible, right? No, I've given up. I used mean? to cut my hair uh -huh. so it would look like a normal haircut. Uh-huh. And now I've gotten lazy to the point where I will just cut it so it's just not that's in my I'm face saying. anymore. And if that happened to be the white nationalist way, <laughs> I mean, sure. You would just keep doing it that way and you'd be like well, they'll just know by them not, by my interview. Yeah, you know, I guess there's also part of me that would by my do podcast. it. That would do it just to troll them. Just to fuel those rumors. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. Yeah, just be like, I love frogs and get Pepe the frog. <laughs> right. I didn't even know what this I just like frogs. No, it's oh. because of the documentary, right? The right. documentary was great, right? <laughs> yeah. Um all right, okay. moving on. Yeah. So we're going to start talking about we own this city, right? I keep wanting to say we own the night. That's the Joaquin Phoenix movie, exactly. right? Exactly. So uh, we own this city, new show from David Simon. It's on HBO. Uh, it is essentially The Wire 2.0, right? Yeah, I have a little preamble okay. I want to give before we dive into this. Because something happened this weekend that really messed me up. Okay. That I have not recovered from. And that is I uncovered some of my old... Oh, boy. Writing <laughs> and thoughts from around college. Uh-huh. What was the old boy? Do you have some stuff pulled up? No, I don't. Your old... Just because uh, I knew what you're talking don't about. Don't say what it is, because I don't. I I really. <laughs> okay, I'll, I, I'll bleep it out. I want I'll that bleep it nuked. Out. No one's gonna find it though. Oh, but I'll bleep it out. I sent Marco his today. So, one I, I've been honest with the fact that what I think moved me left, the thing that actually started that movement, was my support of the Iraq war mm -hmm. that I was raised here. Here's the thing that I'll say about myself when I was younger, I was trying, I was given 110%. Mm -hmm. And even though I didn't know the rules of the game I was playing and making a complete ass of myself out there and not helping either team, um, I was out there doing it. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> I was running around like a maniac, <laughs> taking off my clothes, sweating right. profusely. <laughs> and I was going for it. Yeah. And what what I'm left with is this just record and I, I, I'd repressed it and it came up, you know, because of this, but the, the, this record of like a time in my life where I was desperately trying to make sense of the world and find an answer, but I think I was raised to believe in the answer first. And then you work back. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so you say like, no, listen, the world works like this. So now your job for the rest of your justify life. Justify it. It's just to justify it. Just yeah. make sure it all falls in line with mm-hmm. that answer. Anything that falls outside of that answer, it's wrong. Right. You know? And you, you have to, you're solving for X, right? You're not. Exactly. Yeah. Except you're not solving for X. You're solving for nine. Sure. Right. The sum can never go more than nine. Right. Yeah. I don't care if you're like, I found a thousand here. No, you didn't. You found a nine. Yeah. And everything else is zero then. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, that is legitimately how I perceive my upbringing and the thing that I think I kept bumping up against. And finally, the Iraq war broke on me, right? Mm-hmm. It, it finally opened my eyes because I saw devastation of the others, right? That you have now footage of innocent people being killed by drones. I mean, we didn't have that though. They weren't showing that on TV when we were in college. No, but but that that's what I'm saying. Like it was it was through on and, and after mainly, right? Okay. Like I was somebody who Follow like I voted in every election since I was eighteen. I, I tried again. I was out there giving. I I read Shakespeare when I was younger because I was like Shakespeare knew what was going on, so I'm gonna read all Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. And then I need to know history, so I'm gonna read this. I remember there's a book that I picked up even when I was young. Lies my history teacher told me or something like that. The problem is is that the center is so poisoned. The poison goes both ways. Mm -hmm. So whatever gets into mainstream culture on I think either side ends up being this weird milk toasty like you're not saying anything of substance you're just arguing two sides of sure. a scale that that the scale is perfectly balanced mm-hmm. so it's like if I read somebody on the right you know then I'm I'm getting an argument of Bigotry that's trying to explain away its bigotry is not bigotry. Mm-hmm. You know, economic conservatism, that's that's the umbrella you can get under. We care about the budget. We care about, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's like budgeting your home. That's how we should run the country, you know? On the other side, you get the left who's like, we care about social issues. But at the same time, we don't want to actually be responsible for doing anything about it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you're, you're, as you're trying to navigate, you're reading both sides and you just end up in this like whirlpool in the center and you're not being moved anywhere and you don't know what to make of it. So you end up just like regurgitating what somebody told you and the real stuff 
<clears throat> the other issue is that you're, you're raised to believe that the center respects both sides. The problem is that one side lacks substance fully. Right. And the other side actually has substance, but it's deeper in. You got pushed through to actually get to the real stuff. And you, again, you could get stranded and lost in that, in that whirlpool center and just got, so I remember I was reading like PJ O'Rourke, like when I was trying to get like, uh, politically savvy uh-huh. and like, it's like, now I look back at PJ O'Rourke, I'm like, I don't even think he knew what he believed. I think you're just like cranking out books and people are like, sure. Libertarian centrist. Like I didn't even know what I was getting from it, but I would read PJ O'Rourke and be like, I guess this is me being politically savvy, you know? Right. So anyway, I, well, let me say quickly, the problem with this, with the center and with, if, with, you know, being one of these people who it's, who's like, I'm just trying to, I want to find common ground between two people or between the two sides is that you don't have your position is relative, right? You don't have a standard that you're following. You're not the standard of, cent- of right. center. <laughs> you're, you're, so your position is relative. So if the right moves further to the right, that means your center is moving further to the right. And that means that maybe in the 90s, if we're being generous, you're, you're trying to find the center of just like conservative economics and conservative social beliefs or whatever. But now you're trying to find the center of like what's slightly to the center of or to the left of like of white supremacy <laughs> you know right. what i mean so it's like by its Corporate nature supremacy. you've been drawn to the right or whatever so it's yeah that's that's like the biggest the biggest issue with it yeah, and, and it's it, more of just like a instead of being like an actual practical belief that's rooted in life it's just a theoretical position where you're just trying to like walk a tightrope between both sides. And, and where you think that you have objectivity that you think just cause you can say, well, I don't, I'm not left or right. Yeah. That you somehow are then qualified to critique both sides. Right. Meanwhile, did I read Karl Marx? Nope. <laughs> did I read a little bit of Nietzsche? Yep. Yeah. Just a little bit though. Right. You know? <laughs> what 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 else did I read? Oh, I read Richard Dawkins thinking, well, I'm gonna push myself. And mm-hmm. now like Richard Dawkins is a clown. Yeah. You know what I mean? And meanwhile, when I was younger, I think like <clears throat> I'm gonna read the other side. I'm gonna read Richard Dawkins. And in my in my mind, again, my limited understanding, I'm thinking I'm reading somebody far, far left. Right. Far this guy's a radical. This guy's yeah. a radical. Yeah. And then yo, then you realize like, oh, he's like a, jo- a joke mm-hmm. like he doesn't even rank right, right. In, in people who now i actually respect and whose books i'm like wow that was, that was actually substantive and good yeah but again those are those are harder to find so all of that coming off of going into we own the city mm-hmm. is something that i definitely am bringing to the show and brought to the first episode okay and something that i I'm interested in viewing it through the lens of also how would I have seen this show when I believed that I had some of that objectivity, some of that ability to like critique both sides. Whereas now I don't know anything comfortable saying, I don't know what I'm talking about, you know? Um, But 
that I feel like I can at least point to, you know, substance. And when I hear people critique cops and policing, I think that I can identify the the wheat from the chaff, right? Mm-hmm. The, the substance from the non. And what's not substantive is saying we need more police. Why? Right. You know what I mean? Like there, yeah. there's no reason to that. Or that the war on terror or the war on drugs was a good policy. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's not, there's nothing of substance that can support that. Th- those are both terrible, awful, you know, um, policies, <clears throat> not, not just policies, right? Because they're yeah. all movements right? that we're still feeling the effects of today. Well, I think it's interesting that you bring that up too, because someone on the subreddit, uh, pointed out that they thought that we own this city is kind of David Simon's um, mea culpa for homicide, which homicide was his first book, right? That he wrote Mm -hmm. with someone else. And it was an HBO show. David Mamet made a, a movie of homicide. Was that separate? Was that based on David Simon's writing? I'm pretty sure it has a, a TV show and then, or a movie and there or was some sort show. of companion piece. Right. But <clears throat> they were saying that homicide is very sympathetic towards the cops. Um, and they think that maybe, you know, this is David Simon sort of maybe not directly, you know, apologizing for that. And I think it's also interesting <clears throat> what I wanted to say about the previous thing you're talking about that also rolls into this is I don't think, I 1000% understand the like embarrassment and the like not wanting this thing to exist on the internet anymore, which is exactly why I delete every single thing I can. The instance I get a little tingling that I don't want anymore, it gets deleted. But at the same time, it is interesting to sort of, and I don't think there's anything like, I think it's perfectly fine to be wrong. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And and one thing that has kind of stuck with me after after you said after. Yeah. <laughs> You're wrong. You're an idiot. One thing that stuck with me after this I think it was some woman posted something on Twitter that was She sounds hot. racist whatever it was, mm-hmm. right? But it was from like 10 years ago. And it's like completely antithetical to the person she is now, right? But then you also look at 10 years ago, she was 18 years old. You know what I mean? So it's like, I think I think you need to take into consideration, like, it's very different for someone who is 60 years old to be saying racist shit in public than it is for someone who is 18-year-old years old to be saying it, even if they're saying the exact same thing, right? Like I'm going to be much less forgiving to someone who is now 40 years old. If I see that they said something terrible when they were 20 years old, mm-hmm. right? And now that they're 40, they'd be like, man, that was terrible. I've changed my mind, blah, blah, blah. Whereas if you look at someone, I mean, even if it's, even if they're saying they've changed and it's 10 years later and you look back and they were 60 years old, I mean, there's definitely an air of like, Really? Like, mm-hmm. you're pretty old when you were saying that stuff. Yeah. Like, you, you probably should have known better. You know what I mean? 
So, like I said, I totally understand like wanting to like to wipe that stuff, and but at the same time, I think it it does still serve a a purpose of like this is just who I was. Yeah, you know what I mean. And and that that has been my approach. You know, I've sure. said it on this podcast. I want to be doing this because I want a record for my son to have of how I process the world and art yeah. and, and all of that stuff. Like, I love the fact that <clears throat> there will be a digital record of what I thought about stuff. So, like, I would love for him to be like, hey, here's my Twitter. You know, here, here was... Yeah. Depending on how long Twitter's right. gonna be around. Here was my, my my Twitter name. Here's the podcast, son. Like, have at it and enjoy the stupidity and your your dad trying. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I, we, I was I was out there trying, you know? We've been doing this podcast for seven years. Yeah. And you can go back to ooh. the beginning and find really embarrassing oh, stuff. I guarantee I it. Bet. <laughs> I bet. And it's like, see, that's the stuff that I'll stand behind. Yeah. Right? Because sure. like we I'm old enough when we started this to have a sense of who I was, mm. you know, even as I was trying to figure it out that there were times where I was like, "Ugh, I could have said that better, but the sentiment of it, I, I, I will still probably stand behind today. Yeah. Finding that old, old material though <laughs> is just, it's rough. It's so rough. <laughs> and that's the thing where it's like, listen, in the end, I believe like, I'll stand by it because that was me. Sure. And my whole goal is for indie to be different. Yeah. So, you know, I, it's a good reminder. Yeah. Of how I thought I was living and, and coming across and how I was actually doing it and making sure that I'm not leading indie down a similar path. Yeah. But man, it sucked. Yeah. It it's, it's sucked. <laughs> sucked. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I didn't want to, like, go too far into, like, the, the prescription stuff because I kind of want to watch the show and let the show kind of speak for itself and then bounce off of the show. But, yeah, the one thing, like, the what I, I wanted to start here just as a random question before I forgot, and then we can go back and maybe, like, walk through the episode okay. or, or give overall thoughts. But the one thing that stood out to me in watching it was the scene where you have the civil rights attorney mm -hmm. who's like, you bear hope Hillary wins. Yep. And the guy's like, Oh, I made note Why? of it. You yep. know, and she's like, because as long as we have, you know, de Democrats are, she was trying to if say Republicans like, in office, this is all going to go away or whatever. Right. Yep. That you won't have any work to do or right. whatever. Cause mm -hmm. it's, you know, and, um, and I, I just, yeah, to me, I was like, number one, speaking to real world historical issues. And again, by that point in my life, I too was like, no way in hell I'm voting for Trump. Mm -hmm. I still don't think I was ever the kind of person that was like, he'll never get it. I think I was from an earlier point being like, I, I think this guy actually like has momentum. And yeah. I think it's scary and bad right which is why hillary should have been running on actual ideas and not on oh, can you believe this yeah guy right what a joker yeah and that scene stood out to me because i was like yeah is david simon really believe like is that him putting in his belief like hillary would have been 
you know, or yeah, it's very like lib, right? But there's a part of it that I think serves the purpose of, and we can talk about this later, but there's a part of it that I think serves the purpose of, because the, the show is hopping timelines a lot. Right. So there's a part of it that I think that is very much like, this is where we're at. This, right. this is another way year. for you to place yourself. Right. The, the other thing that I'll say is too, is um, that is one reason why I voted Hillary. Mm-hmm. So in the primary, I voted Bernie Sanders mm-hmm. uh, 2016 and in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, when he lost the, the primary, and then Hillary was up in 2016. I was not happy with, hey, can listen to us talk about it. On this <laughs> there you podcast. go. That's right. And we <laughs> Well, were, maybe. It may have been one of our uh, our blank spots. I think there's definitely some talk in there, but yeah. Oh no, I, I remember talking about it. I remember us trying to trying to wrestle with it. Yeah. But one one reason why I ended up voting for her, and again, another reason why I ended up voting for Joe Biden is because of the civil rights issues, right? Yeah. That in the end, you can make a case that Democrats will at least be better on civil rights issues than Republicans, generally because you still have immigration and, you know, again, how many people Obama deported, right? That's all been written about. Mm-hmm. Joe Biden was slow. I think he still hasn't officially like closed the whole kids in cages thing right no, like that's yeah. still mm-hmm. that's still ongoing yep all under biden's watch mm-hmm. right so again as much as you want to say oh the left is different than the right i want the show to maybe explore more of that because that again represents that mentality that i had right early on where it's like hey we we are at an, an objective center point and we can we can critique both sides but at the same time don't lose sight on objective truth which is that democrats are better than republicans it's like "Ah, i don't know buddy yeah i don't know that you can you can say that like that and have it and have everyone be like "Uh uh-huh that's that's the newsroom type shit Mm -hmm. right did you ever watch the newsroom aaron sorkin unwatchable he's king of that stuff though he's king yeah and it's so disgusting yeah it's the worst so anyway we own the city well, yeah, and I think too with that, it's like in theory, I agree. In practice, not that different because the Democrats don't do anything, right? They they very the the only thing that the Democrats have 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 the only the only thing that makes them better in practice is that they don't actually do anything. Whereas Republicans, they get shit done, right? Like they may have terrible beliefs, but guess what? They enact them. They do something about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um. Okay, so, yeah, so I'm doing the same thing that we had with Severance. I've got a, a write-up. I've made some notes. I've got some stuff from Reddit, although <clears throat> this is a little different because it's just kind of like a straightforward narrative uh, based on a true story, right? We're not going to be looking for, like, Easter eggs and stuff. You know? Right. We're not breaking the story. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, we own this city. Episode one is just called part one. It's not even episode one. It's just part one. There's only um, six episodes. 
right? So it's a limited series. There's only six episodes, so it's kind of like um, Generation Kill in that mm-hmm. aspect of it. He also did Generation Kill, right? Yeah. David Simon? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, part one, I got this recap from a website called The Cinemaholic. Can we trust a cinemaholic? Well, after this first paragraph, I don't think we can. Okay. Uh, the series premiere episode opens in 2017 with Sergeant Wayne Jenkins, played by John Bernthal, giving a lecture to members of the BPD With Academy. a terrible haircut. Ter- you- it's a wig. It made me think, like, because it said this is based on a book and a true story. Right. Yeah, it made right. me want to be like, I want to see this real guy. He doesn't look hair. like the guy. Well, I guess the only, I've only seen a mugshot. So. Why'd they do his hair like that? It's, it's a terrible, terrible wig. Jenkins vehemently states that the law enables the police officers to be stricter on the streets and be brutal if necessary. He advises the trainees to seek out cases that will lead them to drugs and arms, thereby justifying their methods in reaching the outcome. That is their characterization of the opening scene, which doesn't that's no. not how I took it at all. No. Right? No. Like to me, I thought the opening scene was such a great um uh, just a great demonstration of like how charismatic these people can be and how they can so easily like justify their actions while also being able to like sort of like legally separate themselves from it and just mm-hmm. be like, oh no, do you not hear what I'm saying? This is what I'm actually saying, right? When it's so crystal clear what's being implied, but what they're actually saying is not that thing, right? So you can very easily just be like, no, this is literally what I said. I didn't say that. I wasn't implying anything. This is just what I was saying. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it perfectly <clears throat> encapsulates that that misreading. And I think that, that goes to David Simon, it, you know, that he has a way of you know, writing or his shows have a way of dealing with issues that on the surface could be misread because I think they're more thoughtfully right. you know, put, put together yeah. and, and structured. So yeah, his argument is like, <clears throat> don't waste like, yeah, the, you, you could hold him up as both saying, um, de-escalation is 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 a method while also mm-hmm. being like escalate right yeah perfect yeah yeah i thought that was great also any thoughts on his um ac- accent you know i'm i'm somebody who who i'm happy to give people the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. i want to be like listen you get paid to do your job his accent does stand out yeah and I I would be like, yeah, that's something that maybe I could notice, or I could just be like, hey, he based on something. I think I it's great. Yeah, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I thought I it. I thought uh, yeah. it was great. I think, and my the only exposure I've really ever had to John Bernthal was The Walking Dead. Oh, okay. That was like the first thing that he kind of blew up in, mm-hmm. right? And I thought he was. I mean, and maybe this is more to the show than it is John Bernthal. I thought he was bad, but mm-hmm. the show's bad. Yeah. Um. After that, no, I don't think I've seen him in anything. He's been in a lot. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I just have never really thought much of him. But I 
thought I think he's great in this so far. Yeah, no, I think he's great. <clears throat> People have a problem with his accent? I mean, not really. Okay. It just is one of those things that sticks out. There's some there's some discussion on the subreddit, of course, about like, well, it's not authentic to this area <laughs> yeah. that he's from in Baltimore, and these people actually sound like this, and he sounds more like this area. Blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay, whatever. You know what I mean? It sounds, it's it's perfectly serviceable. It's, right. It's good. And the thing that I also, I the, the thing that I think saves it the most is not everybody in the show is speaking with that accent, right? Yeah. Like, he's like the key guy. This is the Baltimore guy. Here's the accent. Everyone else, we're just going to go about our business. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it doesn't turn into like a um, uh, like a mayor of East Town situation where yes. everyone's talking with this dumbass Philly accent, right? Yes. You know what I mean? It's just like, all right, we get it. They're from Philly, you know? Right. And I think it, it <clears throat> also ups the level of difficulty that you probably don't need to do. Like, on the flip side, you have almost any Coen Brothers movie, but like Fargo. Where everyone's speaking in like Wisconsin, right. you know, dialect, but also like killing it. Fargo, North Dakota. Yeah, it's also kind of it in Fargo as like stereotypical as it is. It's its own kind of character that accent is. You know what I mean? So it's you're almost like looking forward to yeah, how every exactly, character is going exactly. to interpret you're, that you're like accent. Eating it up, right? You're, you're just yeah, like yeah. every even the side characters. You're like, I want to hear how they talk. I want to hear <laughs> right. how they talk like that. Yeah. That, but again, that has to be like intentional. And yeah, if you're mm-hmm. making a show, it's just like, yeah, we have so many characters. Hey guys, you got an accent? You don't? Yeah, just count them off. Um, and then someone on the subreddit pointed this out, which I thought was really interesting. So that whole sequence ends with the reveal that he's the officer patrolling the streets with the baton the, or whatever it's called, mm-hmm. uh, which is not like a reveal or anything. And then, he, yeah, he, he's, he breaks the bottle of booze. And then on the subreddit, Sonic hmm points out, the opening scene edited with Jenkins smashing the booze in the paper bag was a nice touch. I feel like it's a callback to the scene in The Wire where Colvin explains how the paper bag is a sort of truce between police and people who are drinking in public. Mm. Smashing that bottle, mm. smashing that bottle in the paper bag felt like a way of saying mm. things have changed, right? This isn't The Wire, whatever, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so again, and like we've talked about, 100% that has to be intentional, like, and it's great. It's an awesome little touch. On, a, on another quick side note, I did notice how one thing that's great about The Wire is that it is heightened. You know, it leans into it. So, like, the characters, their side conversations do feel, like, Shakespearean. You know, there's, yeah. they're, they're exchanging little asides. There's little moments of like poetry being exchanged between two characters or, mm-hmm. you know, I still remember the scene like explaining chess, like how, how to play chess mm-hmm. between two characters and all that. <clears throat> and again, we own the city is a different show, but it stood out to me how like in this one, the, the, the side conversations would be like, I'm a titty man, <laughs> but you know, not just titty, right. I like ass too. Yeah. And then, like, the other main character will walk in, and you're like, oh, okay. Right. Whereas, like, on the wire, it's like this, like, the paper bag you see is mm-hmm. it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just wonder if that's, like, again, I'm not looking for the wire part two, but that mm-hmm. is a, a juxtaposition that stood out in my mind. Yeah. Uh, the scene then shifts to an interrogation room where FBI agent Erica Jensen speaks with Mamadou G. Money Gondo. 
Jensen asks Gondo about his involvement in drug distributions and Wayne Jenkins. Um, I don't have many notes throughout this, so just stop me yeah. if you have something to say. Mm-hmm. Back in in 2017, Jenkins leads to... Oh, I guess this is something we can talk about since this is kind of more or less the first jump in time. How did you feel about the like the, the multiple timelines, right? Like... I guess on a on like some sort of like a guttural level, I got it, mm-hmm. but I didn't. I guess I didn't really process it until I was reading about the show, and everyone's like, "Yeah, this it takes place in like four different years or whatever, and it just hops around, and you never really know what years it is outside of like we talked about the." Political when they mention the Trump reference, there's a lot of Freddie Gray references, which mm-hmm. I'm assuming s- part of that serves the purpose of like this is what time you're in, and 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 also it makes you wonder like yeah, is that truly when when the structures of power started to feel the implications, right? Mm-hmm. That <clears throat> there is a rising tide, right? Like that that's how it always works, where society puts up with it, puts up with it, puts up with it, and then finally says, like, yeah, no. And then you do see, again, the the, the power structure starting to bend a little bit as, as much as they can. Makes me wonder if Freddie Gray really is, if you interviewed people in those power positions, they're like, no, yeah, Freddie Gray was the tipping point. That's yeah. where finally you saw people being like, okay, we got to do something. Um yeah, I mean, you also have the very clear, like, plugging in the police report. Mm-hmm. And then it'll, like, zoom in at the very oh, end. Oh, right. 17. The, the date, yeah. <laughs> March <laughs> That's 1st. That's true. <laughs> 17. Yeah. Yeah, I think part of it that helps that, too, now that I'm thinking through it, and maybe this is not completely accurate, but I think outside of... Um, John Bernthal, outside of the Wayne Jenkins character, everyone is isolated to their own timeline, right? Mm -hmm. Like, when you're watching the narcotics investigators, you're watching them in the same year at every single time, right? You're not watching them in 2015 and then later at 2017. Does that make sense? Or when you're Mm -hmm. following um, Steele, is her name, Mm -hmm. the lawyer civil rights civil rights mm-hmm. attorney <clears throat> that all takes place in the same her her, her story mm-hmm. her scenes all take take place in the same oh, right you I, don't I have think. her popping up yeah. in those different timelines now obviously they will all bleed in and i think collide at some point yeah i definitely need to and plan to rewatch the first episode just to get a stronger grasp on exactly what timeline is what and, and and the sequence of everything. I agree. But it, it's not, it wasn't like so confusing that I was like, I can't watch the show. I can't follow along. You know, so I want to say about authenticity is talk about like deeply researched and, and, and all that. One easy way of testing a show's authenticity is if they show actual nudity in a strip club. <laughs> If a show it has a strip club scene and everybody is clothed and covered, <laughs> you know, they don't really care about authenticity. Oh, right, yeah. But if a show does, like this one, when it opens on the on the strip club and you just see someone topless in the back, you're like, 
These guys care. <laughs> All right, they're going for it. They, they really care about details. Yeah. All right. In 2017, Jenkins leads a GTTF, which is the gun. Get the. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guns something task force. I can't mm-hmm. remember what the T stands for. Gun. Don't don't leave us a review about it, okay? Don't no, leave us a review because we obviously didn't pay attention. It's the uh, gun traffic. Yeah. GTTF raid at Collington Square. The police see some drugs and numerous guns from the site leading to Jenkins receiving the praise. Which is the scene where, okay, so Jenkins and his team breaks into the house. They find all the guns. There is a moment where... When he's walking up the stairs, he picks up like a toy dump truck mm. and throws it to the side. It's just like a little moment, but I assumed it was going to be like a, a little wink or foreshadowing yeah. to like they're about to find a kid or something. Nope. Nope. <laughs> just a toy drum. And then he, they find the stash of assault rifles or whatever. He goes to the other closet, apparently finds a bunch of drugs. He yeah, he has that look. But he has a look and you never know what it is. Does it ever explicitly say in the show that it's drugs? I see that it's drugs in the recap. I don't remember seeing that in the no, show. No, it's like um the the briefcase in pulp fiction. Yeah, so, okay. No, the the one thing that I will say I don't know where I saw Oh. I watched Barry. Uh-huh. Amazing. Okay. Fantastic. Third season, right? Love it. Third season, amazing. Uh huh. And they showed a trailer for We Own This City. city. Uh huh. And in it, spoiler alert, there's a scene with John Bernthal in that room with the guy, and you see him toss the guy a bag of like cocaine. Yeah. That's not in the first episode. Yeah. So to me, they put in a flashback. Yeah. And so later on, we are going to find. So right. maybe that, maybe this guy really did his homework and he pieced it together in the trailer that true. Clearly he found drugs and then that probably sets up what he's going through at the end. Yeah. Well, I also, that, that makes sense because I also cut something out from earlier in this recap because it didn't make, it doesn't make sense in the way that in the timeline of the show, it doesn't make sense the way he writes it. But in the first part where he talks about um, G Money being interviewed, he also mentions that he's a cop. But it's when you're seeing that interview, you have no idea he's the cop. Yeah. You don't learn that so, until yeah, towards he, the end of the episode. Right. He wrote this with future yeah. knowledge. Okay. So back in the right back in the interrogation room, Jensen questions Gondo about Antonio Sh- Shropshire and his connection to the criminal world. Gondo admits that he was involved in robberies before meeting Shropshire. The scene shifts to 2015 when Hartford County Narcotics Task Force's David McDougal investigates a heroin racket. A bust leads McDougal to Aaron Anderson, whom they believe is a crucial player in the racket. Um, the Narcotics Task Force, David Dougal's the white guy with the beard, mm-hmm. Correct. His partner, short guy, black guy with a beard. Mm-hmm. His name's Very Gordon short. Hawk from okay. The Wire. Mm-hmm. Poot, poot, poot from The Wire. Um, There's a few wire people. Right, yeah. I, I made a list that I'll get to at the end. Meanwhile, Nicole Steele, an attorney of the Office of Civil Rights, meets Ahmed Jackson, and they begin working on investigating the city's police officers. What did you make of the Trump-Hillary commentary? We talked about that. 
Um, I mean, what did you think about it? So outside, obviously it was done for maybe a couple of different purposes. Is there any good way to like exactly have that conversation in a TV show? In a, in a TV show? We, we're, we're also going to get it when people do shows in COVID. Exactly. any good way to do right. it and not yeah. have face masks? Yeah. You know? I don't think that there is. I think it's always a catch-22. And this also leads back to the idea that that's the that's also the catch-22 of playing the game as hard as you can mm-hmm. and believing that you have some control over the things that you're talking about that you don't really know what you're talking about or like these bigger ideas than yourself. As soon as you articulate your idea of God or politics or whatever, you're immediately going to expose yourself as an idiot. Because mm-hmm. no one knows. Yeah. No one knows. You can't solve it all in one, like, comment, you know? So anytime that you reference that real world, you know, place, unless you are satirizing it or using it as commentary of something else, it's just going to feel cheap, you know? Yeah, I think there's an element, too, of, like, distance, like... I think that scene will read a lot better to someone who's watching that episode 10 years from now. Yeah, maybe. You know what I Again, mean? but whereas uh, like now it's like that was 3 4 well I mean longer than that I guess. But the, close enough that it's like yeah, we get it. Okay, no one expected Trump to become president, right? Well, big, no, big whoop. Yeah, not, not only that, but then you also want to say like there is that opportunity then to have the deeper conversation on how it's not as simple as that. You know, it's not as simple as being like, oh, we got Hillary. Let's breathe a sigh of relief. Right. Versus, oh, no, Hillary didn't get in. Here come, you know, <laughs> cut of funding and all these other right. horrible things are going to happen. No one's going to care about. Yeah. Uh, she explains that the Office of Civil Rights has received several complaints of excessive brutality from the police. McDougal's team finds Anderson through car trackers, but realizes that the BPD... Uh, let me go back a second. She explains to the Office of Civil several complaints. They're talking mostly about... I don't see him mentioned in the rest of their recap. Uh, Hersel? Yeah, Hersel. What is he from? Dead Poets Society? I haven't seen Dead Poets Society, but he is, looks so familiar. I almost thought oh, he's he was, been in a ton of stuff. Yeah, I almost thought he was from The Wire. Um, I think he may have had a, um, a role. I'm gonna look him up real quick. So why don't you? His talk name's about Josh what Charles, I think. Uh-huh. I, I I used to love him um, when I was younger, younger because I loved Dead Poets Society. Yeah, but I thought he was great. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's great. McDougal's team finds Anderson through car trackers, but realizes that the BPD is also after the criminal. After, uh, is it the BPD? Because it's not the BP. I mean, I guess technically it is the BPD, but it's the guns tax task force that has also placed. Or I guess maybe they think it's the BPD because they get the tracker from that other other officer uh after growing suspicions about the tracker situation mcdougall informs the fbi 
Steele's search sheds light on Daniel Hersel, a member of the GTTF known for excessive brutality who has several complaints against him. Steele speaks with the police commissioner and tries to understand why action hasn't been taken against Hersel and his methods. Um, what do you, how do you think, I mean, it's only the first episode, obviously. How do you think they're handling the police brutality thing so far? And do you think it would or will work to like pursue, persuade anybody yeah or see, is it possible right see that that's the thing are that, they kind of like preaching to the choir right that's the thing that i was kind of you know thinking about too like again i when i was younger i was you know supporting the the iraq war trying to be like listen the world is black and white sometimes you're not gonna like it yeah but right. that's the nature of it mm-hmm. and we need to just find a way to accept it and articulate it better. Mm -hmm. And so I, at that point was somebody who, again, like I said, I was trying to diversify myself. I wasn't just trying to be closed off because I, I actually believed it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that's the thing that drives me crazy is like, I, I, I look back and sometimes I had conversations where it's like, you know, you as the person who was older than me and having these conversations with me, you know, I believed what you said, right? Can you just own up to the fact that you didn't know what you were talking about? <laughs> right. Just, just tell me that, right? Yeah. Because as a kid, I thought you knew that's the way you portrayed it, that you had yeah. the answers and this is how it was. And you've really thought about it. And then now that I realized like, oh no, you haven't read a single book about it yeah you it's just making it up yeah you you're incurious about all of this mm-hmm. and i'm thinking i'm building on the work of the people who are teaching me and showing me how to live and all that stuff and meanwhile it's like oh man some of those people were just trying to have a job and support themselves and other people were just trying to like they're too scared of you getting into drugs so they would say whatever to make you scared of mm-hmm. whatever yeah <laughs> just so that you wouldn't you know, do things that they're scared of, all that stuff. So I, I, as somebody who, like, I believed that I was curious about things, but if I watched this show when I was younger, when I was in that mindset, even as I was saying, like, oh, no, I'm, I'm curious, mm-hmm. I would not be persuaded. Really? <laughs> this This would not move me one inch yeah and it's the it's the problem of like i tried everything um growing up i was a theater kid for a little bit yeah art the answer is in art and then i was like nope you just have a lot of ego in in art and you know again some of my my greatest artists idols are all idiots and self-absorbed jerks. And now we find out later on, 
rapists and <laughs> <laughs> pedophiles, right? And friends of Jeffrey Epstein and all that stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so you you have all this. So I moved from that to like, okay, well, let me get into philosophy and all that. And then you know, you read, you know, Camus and Heidegger and all these people, and it's like, yeah. I think these guys know what they're talking about. But I'm bored to tears. Like I, I don't find I'm not finding life here. I'm finding technical, like sure depth. So then I'm moving away. And and to me, it's like this show is well made, but I think it's just limited by the medium. You know, has anybody really shifted and changed because of a TV show? <laughs> yeah, or I mean. Like, I think at the same time you did change, right? And I don't think there ever is. I, I definitely tend to agree with you when it comes to if you're looking at it point by point. I I do not. I obviously I think practically it does happen in my mind. I cannot ever imagine a scenario where somebody who is completely antithetical to this what this show believes sits down and sees that scene and has a moment where it's like, right. The, the switch flips. I just don't see it. Although that is kind of what happened to me. Like I think it's over time at the same time, we had these same beliefs when we were in college, support the Iraq war, all this black and white stuff, blah, 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 blah. blah. At the same time, we're watching all of these, right? We're not watching the fucking uh, Christian films, right? Mm-hmm. We're watching all of these super left-leaning whatever movies, <clears throat> but it's never, but it's not for whatever reason. It's just like not tracking, <laughs> or that aspect of it isn't like translating. You know what I mean? And for me, there was a moment specifically with war. Um, Fires on the plane. Oh, I remember that movie explicitly changed my view on war and blah blah blah, and and not I'm and I I won't I wouldn't credit it with I was staunchly this one way. I watched this one movie and it completely changed my mind. I'm sure it's a million little things that led up to that point. You know what I mean? And then I do remember that movie specifically like just providing such a different perspective on war that it forced me to kind of rethink everything. You know what I mean? And I think also, I guess it depends on the person. Um, But ultimately what changed my mind on stuff like that is just being alive and just (laughs) like living, you know what I mean? And like working with, Native American kids when I was teaching, working with a majority of a majority black and lower class people when I was a groundskeeper and just like having those experiences. Right. It was never like a moment. And then and then stuff like this just becomes more of like reinforcement, I guess, than, than exactly. actual like perspective changing. Exactly. That, that, that's what I was going to say. Somebody who's trying to find objective reality and truth in all these different areas and then being frustrated what changed me was the fact that, again, like I believed these things. Mm-hmm. And then when I put them into practice, I'm being told like, oh, Keith, yeah, 
the genocide of Native Americans, our response is, that's history. Get over it. (laughs) It's not still happening We're not doing it anymore. So why are you talking about it? (laughs) Um, You know what I mean? And you're you're like... We stopped, okay? We stopped. (laughs) They have casinos now. Is that not good enough? Can I open a casino? (laughs) They get tax breaks, right? I don't get a tax break. You know, and and then you you hear that and you're like, that's not at all... Like, like that—that that doesn't track even with your worldview. Yeah. Of like, we believe in in objective reality, not subjectivity, and in all this stuff, and and we don't lead with emotions. Yeah, your emotion of I'm not wrong. Right. I'm not wrong. Yeah. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. You're wrong. <laughs> You're emotional. You know, like that's you leading with your emotion. So to me, it's like it's like real life pushed me. But when I look at the different elements of this show, and I go back to the old mindset number one i'm thinking about the 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 beginning Mm -hmm. well they're only showing arresting of black people agenda much (laughs) uh i don't think everyone who gets arrested is black so immediately my mind is like oh they're pushing their agenda yeah then you have the hillary you know clinton line Mm -hmm. and then you say furthermore like oh you think hillary's that much different like there, there's you just showing your ass again and being like this this or that black or white mm-hmm. you know what i mean so then i get to respond with my black so my black and white is justified because this guy who's representing the other side is also doing the same thing back yeah. at me so he's just on the opposite end of my spectrum and then you have the scene where the lawyers are sitting down at lunch and mm-hmm. um she just starts spinning facts at him well mm-hmm. did you know that he's like john Mary black you don't seem like you're annoyed I am. I just don't let it control my life, or whatever. and it's like, yeah, okay, right. Hit me with that all those <laughs> all those data points. Well, guess yeah. what? I'm sure there's other data points. I don't know them right now, but I bet they're out there. Yeah. And then I could look up again whatever conservative who's going to be like they want to tell you that 40 percent of people are you know when really it's actually 36.2, mm-hmm. and they don't. So anyway, all that to say, those are the reasons why I know I'd be like. Nope, nope, nope. Not going to impact me, but I am here for the good show and, and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, it's also sh- interesting, too, because part of my, like, one thing that definitely affected my view of the world is The Wire, as, like, as corny and stereotypical as that is for, like, a middle-class white guy to say it is 1000 percent true you know what i mean and it wasn't necessarily that it was um like an like an eye-opener for me as it was when i started watching it as it was sort of like a reinforcement of like what i was seeing was true and was like antithetical to what I was sort of being told growing up in a majority white middle-class upbringing. You know what I mean? Um, Having said all that, I will say watching it now from where I'm at, I am, maybe it's just the old man in me. I am becoming more didactic where I want to be like, the viewers need to know that even if these people are committing crimes, the whole system is corrupt and has been, you know, impacting yeah. 
their ability to access the same things that I could. So you set them up in a unjust, you know, position that then they respond to by maybe criminal behavior, but also it's more justified than if I did it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and that, and that's the thing is like, you have to break out of that mindset to, to see that perspective or else you're just going to equally equate everybody. Well, I didn't, I wasn't a criminal. Mm-hmm. So if I wasn't, that means they could not be. Yeah. Meanwhile, they lived a completely different and not only them, but their parents and yeah. their parents' parents and definitely their parents' parents' parents right. lived a way different life than, than mine. Yeah. And so, you know, all of that also cannot be reflected in an opening montage of black people being arrested. And meanwhile, I'm just desperate for more of that context. But that context is also not going to sway anybody. Yeah. There's nobody who's like far right who believes that police need more money, need more military gear, who is then going to look at that and be like, oh, even if they're criminals, there's still that unjust system that created this inequality that would push them more towards that behavior. I get it now. I yeah. I mean, there's, I, there's always, I think if you go back seven years, you might hear us saying the same thing. If you go back 14 years, you might hear people saying the same thing that the sides are so divided that there's just no breaking through, right? There's, you're just not changing anybody's mind, no matter what you show them, no matter what you tell them, no matter what they see. All all anybody is ever trying to do is just reinforce their own beliefs. And 1000%, I feel that in my bones right now, (laughs) right? Like I agree with that completely, but there is also then that side of me that says like, I know I could find people saying that 10 years ago, saying the same thing. So I don't know if that means that that's always been the case or it's never been the case, or if maybe it's just a mix of both. You know what I mean? Mm. <clears throat> Not to be too uh, centrist about it. Mm. In the episode's final act, Wayne Jenkins has a meeting with the higher officials of the BPD. Jenkins and the board is discussing the city's crime rate and GTTF's role in curbing gun and drug-related violence in the city. While higher officials believe that the BPD's arrests have gone down while crime in the city has spiked, Jenkins insists that the GTTF's arrest numbers have only gone up. Jenkins is unapologetic about his and his team's methods and genuinely believes that they are curbing crime in the Baltimore streets. The episode's final moments see Jenkins called to the BPD headquarters to solve a minor issue. However, as soon as Jenkins disarms himself and enters the building, he is apprehended by the FBI. While the episode does not reveal why Jenkins is arrested, it is likely it likely has something to do with the BPD's pursuit of Aaron Anderson. Yeah, I think it's going to be those drugs that he finds yeah there's a definite um shield vibe Mm -hmm. where it's like this gttf task force well not only that this is not even in the recap somehow oh they they, they missed a lot we see the the gttf robbing somebody yeah yeah, 
There's the, the, the double tracking devices. Right. And, and that's the reveal, right? And then it's because up until you're, you're seeing um, um, Gondo interviewed, then you see him and a couple other guys break into someone's house and rob them. And then it's revealed that they're part of the task force. What I love, the other thing that I want to say is I love how there's the scene with them in the strip club where they're like, man, you were right. He had everything. Guns, drugs, mm-hmm. he kept it all in that house, right? Mm-hmm. That's what they said. He kept everything. They run out. I don't see them like <laughs> that's true. <laughs> they don't run out with anything. They don't run out with like a Santa Claus sack. You know, like yeah. they're they're like dropping right. guns as they right. run. Um, number one, didn't look like they boosted a lot. <laughs> and then when the actual like cops cops show up and do their raid they're like yeah this place has been turned over there's nothing here i want to be like they were in there for four minutes (laughs) (laughs) and they didn't come out running carrying a bunch of stuff yeah and and what he had again they said like he was supposed to have guns drugs and money yeah yeah i was just like i don't know man this is also post the shield right so it's like and this is a true story. Because I mean, I know I'm expecting too much, but it's like, and that's the whole point. It's just that these guys think slash can just get away with anything. They just don't care. Yeah. I, I also like the fact that they made reference, and I think no, I think I'm I'm misremembering that. They made reference to the lady who was there. Right. When they broke into break. Mm-hmm. I wanted to say, because you hear a scream there. And then she was there when the police broke in, too. I was like, did she scream again at that one, too? Like, I would love if right. there's just, like, a double. Like, yeah. this lady has been through a lot in the last two days. Yeah. But I also love how she factors in 0%. Like, yeah. you don't get to hear, like, she doesn't have, what, she doesn't have a perspective on, like, this is what I experienced when the first people broke in. Yeah. And, and all that stuff. Like, yeah, she's just, like, a nothing figure who, who apparently was there for both raids and has nothing to say (laughs) yeah um okay so the first episode ends with jenkins getting arrested which is the end of the book oh you researched the book right well they talk about on the subreddit okay um but i mean it's kind of naturally the end of the story right if the story is about this guy and his corrupt tax well, task I mean, force he hasn't been convicted it, so i don't know well it seems like the end or three quarters of the way to the end would be him getting arrested um i love that clearly it is a mystery but where he's like do you know who i am yeah like i do love at the end on that too because that's like the classic like rich kid do you know who my dad is do you yeah know who I am? right and it very oh, clearly like, yeah, shows like how sort of Maybe not delusional, but just how much he thinks of himself. Right. Um, yeah, I know nothing of this story. So I don't know if he's like, if this is a story of like a truly guilty guy and just like getting exposed or I have yeah. no idea what the story is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't either. I just know oh. that it's based off a true story. I know it's based off a book and I know that he has a bad wig from what I, yeah, he has a bad wig. He has a bad beard as well. Fake beard. Mm. And for, oh, come on. I, I it's those terrible. are things I, I his beard. I'll go back. back and take a look. And I know based on the subreddit that him getting arrested is the end of the book. Okay. Um 
And then, of course, I read a terrible spoiler on the subreddit, Ooh. which I won't share. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, that's all I had. Let's, I want, I did want to point out, so like we said, Wire 2.0, there's a bunch of people from The Wire in the show. Um, we pointed out Poot, mm-hmm. the narco, the guy, he's, the thing I remember most is that he's in the surveillance van. Mm-hmm. He's got a beard. He's got a beard. A beard. He's got a beard. <laughs> in The Wire, he's a, he's not a, I think eventually he becomes a dealer, but in The Wire, he's working with, um, I can't remember his name, but he's like a drug, like, associate or whatever. Uh, and then, of course, the new commissioner, the interim commissioner, is from The Wire, uh, the big guy. Mm-hmm. He's a, he's mm-hmm. a homicide detective, Sergeant J something. Uh, and then, oh, this is who the spoiler was about. Again, won't share the spoiler. The homicide detective that Jenkins visits after getting all the guns from the apartment, the black guy, that's Marlo. Ah. Crazy, right? Yeah. Um, and then apparently the old white guy on the task force who shows up, um, when Gondo gives the tracker back to the cop, he shows up in the track suit. He's like a senior Mm -hmm. kind of. He's also on the wire. Don't really remember him, but he's also on the wire. I thought he looked maybe familiar. His eyes. And then uh, Herc apparently is in the show from the wire who was uh, investigator in the, in the wire. Uh, But he's in, not in the first episode. (laughs) So yeah, I, General thoughts, I liked it a lot. I, th- I thought it was great. Oh, again, one thing I wanted to make comment of. I thought John Bernthal, great. I thought... The civil rights attorney is great. She's fantastic. The I civil love, rights attorney. I love everything. One Mimosaku. What was that? One Mimosaku. The civil rights attorney. One Mimosaku. She's great. One Amazing. Mimosaku. Right, I had to look it up. Okay. I wasn't sure how to pronounce it. She's great. Um, Gondo's great. G Money. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, to me, it was very much the wire <laughs> level, serviceable. We're going to get locals, right? Like, you get the feel of it more than it is like yeah, great like, like well, I love that. Like, there's a guy who I don't anticipate that we'll see again. Who's like, John Bernthal shows up at the end. He's like, "Hey, how's it going?" He's like, "Designed to commit suicide by cigarette." Out here. Yeah, and right. He's like, All right, have a good day. He's like, <laughs> yeah. "Yeah, drinking coffee." Or right. Like, yeah. Like, Why'd they give him two lines? Yeah. <laughs> he should just be like nodding. Yeah. Yeah. Outside of that, I thought the acting was. But again, I thought John Berthall was great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So other than that, I thought it was really good. Lo- I loved it. I love the wire. I love this. I thought it was great. Can't wait for the rest. Yeah. Is it every Sunday? What's today? Tuesday? It's yeah, Tuesday. I guess probably. I'm not sure. Yeah, we're we're spoiled on like 
Tonight, I'm going to go home, and hopefully, I'm going to have time to watch Better Call Saul. I haven't mm. watched that new episode. Mm-hmm. Barry is mm-hmm. great. We own this city. Um, Under the Banner of Heaven. Oh, right. Um, have you is, watched it, that yet? Is out now. Nope. Mm-hmm. Haven't seen it. Is it getting good reviews? Um, I saw one that I didn't know. What's his name? Dustin Lance Black? No idea. I've never heard that name. He's done a few things that I've really liked. Mm-hmm. And he wrote and adapted um, this book. And John Krakauer, which we talked about, who I love. Yeah. Um, the The only problem is I'm not... I the, the hard thing is I like what he's been in. But Andrew Garfield, there's just some... Mm. I keep thinking, like, I should not like this guy. Yeah. I agree. But he's in such good projects. There's something about him. There's something. That's a perfect way of saying it. There's something about him. Um, Yeah, Dustin Lance Black, who made... So he's in Under the Banner of Heaven. That's uh, what we're talking about? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So Dustin Lance Black, what has he done that he wrote some writer of 13 projects? Don't know, don't know, don't know. Um, okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing in there, huh? <laughs> uh, you know, there's a little here and there. He wrote Jay Edgar. Oh, the Clint Eastwood movie? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway. Hell no. No, thank you. All right. <laughs>